And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here with Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. And mercifully, Corey, we are on the other side now of the NHL trade deadline. It was an active deadline. I think maybe the most fun NHL trade deadline uh, that I can remember. Uh, flurries of movement, not necessarily on deadline day, but but really seemed like the whole week of the deadline. Tons of action, tons of picks moved, tons of players moved. Let's dive right in on, on what was kind of the marquee trade of, of this year's deadline, the, the Timo Meyer deal. Uh, he ends up going to New Jersey. Uh, and and the, the package, I think, was the source of quite a bit of, uh, of intrigue here. All along, this seemed like it was the bidding process. And in the end, uh, the best asset, it's a huge trade. I mean, multiple you know players and, and pieces involved. but uh, Something like 15 assets or something like that. It was crazy. I think it was 13, but, but crazy. Um, the best asset, though, seems to be Shakir Mukamadoulin, depending on how you feel about him versus the first-round pick. Uh, and I would tend to agree with, with that analysis. I think he's an excellent pro prospect. Uh, checks a lot of the boxes you would want for a projected top four defenseman in the NHL. He's 6'3", 6'4". He skates quite well. He's got good hands. He has good hockey sets. Uh, he can contribute on both ends of the rink. Uh, I, I think he's an excellent pro prospect. I think what's interesting about that trade, when you think of McCamadoulin, is... When you looked at New Jersey's situation going into the trade deadline, uh, they were a team we had talked about a lot. And I think it, our last podcast episode, we had talked about Timo Meyer being a trade destination for the Devils, in part because they had so much prospect capital, is that you looked at this organization, you look at it was already a pretty good blue line already in the NHL yeah. that is going to that has two top five picks 
on defense already in their farm system in Luke Hughes and Simon Nemich. Tom Fitzgerald, mind you, after the deadline, hinted that Luke Hughes will be on the team once the season is over. We'll see what that means in terms of how the playoff roster looks like. But you have those two players coming. So I think any reasonable person would look at this team and think, Makama Doolin is a very good prospect, but there is no realistic spot for this guy on this roster in the near future. So it felt like the the Devils had a lot of leverage, really, to, to move him. And it was interesting that that's ultimately what they ended up on as the premier prospect. Even though I think, when you think of the other guys that were discussed in terms of whether Alex Holtz or Matt Nyes or Scott Morrow or whoever, that I think he's as good, if not better, than a lot of those names. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you look at the trade overall, the the Sharks fans are going to look at this and say, you know, where – who who wasn't in this basically, right? I think that the names that were really exciting to them were the top prospects of all the teams they were negotiating with. But if you can get a top four solid defenseman here at Muka Madulin, uh, who could move pretty quickly to be a, a piece of their team, and then you have the opportunity to get two first round picks, in the end, I think it comes out as a pretty good return. It just doesn't have, he probably doesn't have the sizzle as the name that I think a lot of Sharks fans hoped for. And I'm not saying this is what's going to happen in this trade. In fact, I'm not saying what's going to happen in this trade because yeah, this outcome was extremely unlikely. But let's go back to a similar trade the San Jose Sharks made for Eric Carlson. Sure. Where they traded a first round pick. They traded while well, at the time was not really a – he was a good prospect. He wasn't a sexy prospect though yep. with Josh Norris. And Josh Norris develops really well over the over the coming years. That first round pick – unexpectedly turns into the third overall pick, which becomes Tim Stutzla. Again, not saying those two things are going to happen, but when you get a lot of assets, whether it's a second round pick to become a first, that is that first round pick, a very good pro prospect, uh, a solid NHL young regular in, in Zetterland. I don't know which one of those four assets are going to become a, you know, a really important part of their future, but odds are one or two of those are going to com- be complete busts. One of them is going to be like a useful roster player. And one of those four are going to become a really impactful part of your of your organization. And one big difference right there, and I know that's why you're saying it's it's not a one-for-one comparison, but the protections on the picks make it very unlikely that this will ever turn into a, a even a top 10 <laughs> uh, pick for, for the Sharks. If it did, it would have to be in 2025. Uh, so the Devils did well, I think, to protect themselves against some of that risk. But ultimately, yes, like, like you're saying, you're hoping that one of these guys that you pick – really outperforms whatever the, the 20th or 24th overall draft slot and turns into a top half of the lineup guy for you. And you add that to a potential top half of the lineup guy for you in Muka Madulin. You did pretty I think, well. I think you see it a lot of these trades. There's all kinds of those like really extreme protections being put in there for organizations that you think have little to no chance of ever picking that low. But I, I wonder how much the Carlson trade informs those conditions. Because I think at the time – the Sharks were, you know, a solid team. And then they just added Eric Carlson. You would have thought there's no chance in hell they're picking in the top five, top three. But, but crazy things happen. And I wonder how much that just makes these really, you know, competitive teams just kind of slide that into these trade conditions. So here's what's kind of funny, right? You could almost draw a little line here. So Ottawa gets burned because they have it happened to them in the Duchesne trade. Bowen right. Byram is a Colorado Avalanche because of that. They then get the benefit as a result of the Eric Carlson trade uh, via San Jose, and they get Tim Stutzla. Now does San Jose come full circle 
And then 2025, they get some top five pick as a result of, the, of some whatever catastrophe in New Jersey. That would be the really fun, uh, you know, line here to draw. Not for Devils fans, but no, no, uh, no not very not fun for them. Complete that circle a little bit. I thought that was interesting. A, a lot went on, though, Corey. It wasn't just the Timo Meyer trade. You talked last week about how many picks had already been moved. That number has ballooned. I believe it can get to 11, depending on what happens with the Rangers and the Patrick Kane trade. It is 11. And I think, and there's, I think, been three or four of them that have been moved multiple times. I think the amount of times a first round pick in this upcoming draft have been traded, I think, has been something like 14 or 15 times. Wow. So that's a ton, obviously. And we talked about kind of the reasons that, that go into that and, and the different valuations on the, on the picks. Um, Steve Eiserman had some really interesting comments on, on that topic. Um, and, and they're really similar, Corey, to, to what we talked about last week. Let's actually play those right now. We always hear about, oh, this is a great draft. This is a, isn't a great draft. It kind of becomes a great draft when you have an elite prospect at the top. And that's what you have this year. I'm not sure you talk about picks 20, if they're really that different from year to year. There so happens to be what appears to be one, maybe more than one special players at the top. But the hype in the draft becomes uh, when you have any, the, the guys at the top that make it really exciting. Generally after that, drafts are very similar. I feel like you're seeing teams right now, they are not willing to trade up a chance to get an Fentilli or Connor Bedard. Yes. But they are they are they are very willing to trade up an opportunity to draft Quentin Musty or Gabe Perot or Lucas Dragasevich or or whoever. I think they look at those players, they think they're not too dissimilar from what other late first round picks tend to look like. So I thought that was interesting. I think that, you know, kind of reflects where where the league is at on this stuff. Ultimately, um, what I found most interesting was the Ottawa pick getting sent to Arizona. And another return that I think the fan base in question here with Arizona of the selling team that have one of the prizes of the market doesn't quite get maybe what they had hoped for after such a long buildup. But the difference is, as opposed to that first round pick that you might have gotten, uh, you know, from the even the Edmonton Oilers who are in the 20s, the Ottawa pick, I, I think the Ottawa Senators have a really good chance to make the playoffs. But if they don't, that pick being potentially top 15, that actually is a pretty significant difference. Right. And it seems what we've heard in the reporting since the Chikrin trade is that when Arizona was talking to some other non-Ottawa organizations, they were not asking for a first-round pick really as the prime asset coming back. They wanted a premier prospect. So I think they look at this Ottawa pick that I think right now would be something around whatever, like 11, 12. 14. At, around that range. And it could get lower. It could get higher depending on how the next few weeks go. And they view that as a chance to get a premium prospect, a guy, you know, whether it is a top 12 pick, a top 10 pick, uh, that is significantly different. It doesn't matter on the draft class. It's just any draft class. That is a lot different yes. than the top, you know, whatever, into the into the 20s or around 20. What I also think, though, is that what we think of when we think of the differences in the draft class, the major differences are always at the top. You know, it's the, it's the very top of the draft class. When we get into the body of the draft class, like our, this one, you know, let's compare, say, you know, maybe we think Brayden Yeager is going to go around 10 to 15, compare him to Frank Nazar, compare Denton Machek to Santin Pelikar, or Dmitry Simashev to Liam Bischel, or uh, you can keep making the other comparisons. I don't think, like, right around there, that the similarities tend to get a lot closer yeah. once you get to that point, but the very top is where the differences are. And let's say Ottawa doesn't have a great 
next four weeks. And that pick gets closer to 10, it gets closer to eight. You're still talking about a premier prospect. And it's no guarantee you're going to get a, you're going to get a pick of that range. But I, I see the distinct differences there in terms of Arizona strategy. And you've you've talked in the past about how team lists, right? Like they're not as long as these like comprehensive 140 player lists sure. that sometimes we put out there in the media. Like if you're a team and you're picking at 10, where are you where are you probably on your list? You're probably at seven ish. Is that fair? Maybe higher. Like I've heard of teams getting their third, fourth, fifth rated player around the 10 spot. So you're getting a player there who you're extremely passionate about. Um, and, and obviously this one, this draft has all kinds of asterisks next to it because of the Russian factor, where you land on Mishkov, yeah. where you land on the locomotive duo. Uh, that could change things too. A lot of other players too, though, that, that moved here. And then I want to get your thoughts on a couple of them, especially a couple guys who are already in the NHL. Um, Rasmus Sandin, who kind of, this was an interesting move to me after Washington moves a bunch of guys out and kind of seems to kickstart a retool, I guess we'll call it. Um, they go trade a first round pick for Rasmus Sandin from Toronto as, as Toronto seems to want to get heavier on the back end. Um, that's an interesting ad. And I, I think one that Pretty smart, especially if they weren't going to be able to sign Orlov for Washington to get a young player who was ready to play a big role for them. Right. And Sandine, it looked like in Toronto's new look blue line wasn't going to have a consistent roster spot. I mean, you're seeing with both Sandine and even to an extent Tim Lilligren is not really sure where those guys are going to fit with the veterans that they've brought in now uh, for their blue line. And Sandine is a guy who started off his professional career very promising. He was yeah, tremendous in the American League as a teenager. He played a big role. He scored a lot of points. Uh, he looked like a guy who was going to be a very big part of Toronto's future for a long time uh, because of his really high-end hockey sense. And he was a competitive player too. But he's a 5'11 defenseman. The skating has always been an issue. It's That size-skating combination is why he went late in the first round i think it was 28 or 29 and i and i think that was a part of the concern when you watch him in the nhl it's like yeah he's a good player he can help a power play he makes good outlet passes uh, but is this a guy who could eat big minutes on a competitive team and and i'm guessing toronto fell on that answer being no but it's not unreasonable to think he could be a top four defenseman too i think he's on the bubble of that how about yesapuli arvi who, who goes he gets the, the start that has seemed like the fresh start has seemed inevitable for years. He's heads to Carolina. Uh, what do you like about the fit there? And do you think we still see room to blossom or is he kind of what he is at this point? It's an interesting one. I mean, I mean, the talent there is so like, eye-popping good with, with the size and the skating. And, and he has some skill too, but the production and the consistency has not been there in the, in the NHL. Uh, whether and there's reasons you can you can point to the person you can point to whether it's his hockey sense or his compete whatever whatever how Edmonton developed him or used him there's all kinds of things you can kind of point fingers at uh, with terms of how Puliyarvi has gone but obviously it has not gone well and we'll see whether the change of scenery uh, benefits him in Carolina or not who do have a you know not maybe not the kind of offense Edmonton has but they still have a deep group of forwards too so we'll see if there's a, cons- a consistent roster spot there for him to grab. What I thought was interesting for Carolina was wasn't just the move, but their deadline strategy too, yeah. right? Like they seem to be in on Timo Meyer, and then they lose out on that, 
and they didn't really seem to have like a plan B for a priority guy. It kind of felt like they were mire or bust. What did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, and I think that that is not out of character for how Carolina operates. I don't think that they like the idea of uh, based on their historical track record, I haven't spoken to you know them about this, but I don't think that they like the idea of like you, you make a move just because you got to get something. I think if, if, right. if they have the the target that they want, they'll go get it. But otherwise, I think that they have a really good team, and I, I have a hard time faulting it necessarily. Right. Basically, but I also you don't think they if unless there's somebody who's really going to move the needle, it's like why bother essentially? Exactly. Like I don't know that they really need a third pair D or you know a depth winger necessarily. I guess you could say Puliyarvi is that, but with some runway, I guess is the argument, um, and, and very cost controlled. So um, now with how deep their farm system is, I don't know that it would have hurt them to do it because I I don't know that I think for them they can trade a pretty good asset and it doesn't hurt them just because of how much depth they've you know accumulated, but. I don't hate this strategy from them. I, I think it will be interesting. Now, I have to say, as a media member, I'm kind of rooting against it. I want one of the teams that went all in to win the Stanley Cup this year, like a Toronto or a Boston, because it will mean more deadlines like this. But uh, I, I don't hate the strategy. Because it was just interesting. I, I understand where they're coming from. Again, they have a good group of forwards. So, he's like, yeah, like, I don't know if they need like another second or a third line. Right. Win. But it was interesting that there wasn't another priority guy out there that they had as like a backup plan. Yeah, and and I wonder how much the changing market also affects this. Like we saw some sellers that jumped in at the last minute, that flipped from buyers, and the market maybe gets flooded. But at the same time, if there's not that guy you like, there's not that guy you like. Maybe a second line center, I guess, is the one thing. Like you probably have two third line centers for them between Stahl and Kokaniemi, right? At this point, right. And I'm trying to think of who that player would be, right? Like obviously, like someone like a JT Miller has massive contracts i wouldn't have done that contract no yeah exactly right so it's hard it's hard to just speculate on what what that would that player would look like yeah for sure um how about with vitaly kravtsov who's you know not quite even in the pulley boat of a guy who just has never gotten traction under him at the nhl level but a former top 10 pick what is vancouver getting here right when i I think pulley under under a contract for another year yes. after this, whereas Kravtsov is a, has to uh, have a new deal at the end of this season. Uh, and there was worries that he might go to the KHL. We'll see how things go in Vancouver, though, with him. Uh, really skilled, big forward. Uh, there's, there's obviously those tools have always been really interesting. His skating has never been amazing. His consistency has definitely never been amazing. Uh, and so, I mean, already on a deep offensive team that just added two premium wingers in Tarasenko. And I believe it, this deal happened in between Tarasenko and Kane, but everyone and their and their mom knew that Kane was going to the mm. Rangers. So the roster spots ran out there for Kravtsov, and I think they ran out of patience with him, frankly. Uh, so we'll see how it goes in Vancouver. I'm lukewarm on this player, but like, there's, like I said, there's obvious talents there. And it wouldn't shock me if he found a way to have an NHL career. How about the two top prospects, really, who moved here? Top prospects, meaning beyond Mook Madulin. Um, former Recent first-round picks. Zach Dean goes from Vegas to St. Louis. And Reed Schaefer uh, moves on from Edmonton to Nashville in the uh, Eckholm trade. What are these two teams getting in, in these two late, recent late first-rounders? They're different players. You know, Schaefer's a little bit bigger. Dean's a better skater. But what I think is similar is other than both being guys who played on the recent World Junior team for Canada is that they're more, you know, high physicality, 
uh, two-way, you know, really competitive, physical type of players. Uh, and you see these organizations, you know, targeting that in these kind of trades, whereas, frankly, those organizations had maybe more skilled guys available, whether it's Edmonton having Xavier Borgo or Vegas having Brendan Brisson. Uh, they, but they, they target these other kind of players that maybe play a more, what would you call a playoff style type of, type yeah. of game? Yeah, and I, I think for St. Louis, like Dean makes total sense as a blue. I, I was texting somebody as uh, that was a long wait for the return on that trade in the Barbashev trade, and I was kind of like, who who is this? And then about a minute before, I was like, Dean seems like a blue, and then that that came through uh, seconds. Yeah, later. I, I don't think he's as good a player, but like there are some rhymes between him and Barbashev in terms of the way they play the game, right? Yeah, no, and I, I think when you're talking about what St. Louis seems to want to do, they don't. I don't think they want to do the full bottom out here. For them getting an advanced prospect there, and, and I don't know that Dean necessarily has the same value as a first-round pick, but they basically get a guy who was a recent first-round pick, and it's now. It's not You don't have to wait three more years. He's going to move quicker than, than the, the pick would have. So I think that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think it'll be in the NHL like next year, but two years is not unreasonable. Right, as opposed to if you got the 30th pick you know, in this year's draft, he's going to be Four or five years, years ahead of that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back. you got a new draft ranking out, and I would love to uh, to pick your brain on, on some of the movers there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Corey, a uh, new draft ranking out from you this week and uh, some, some really interesting movement here into the top five. Uh, within the top five, too, I want to start at the very top because uh, you've now got Madve Michkov kind of back in this very top tier. Obviously, Bedard still in a, in a tier of his own, um, but it seems like maybe a little bit of separation here. Michkov coming in with Fantilli and those two in a new tier uh, above Leo Carlson. How does the the moving and shaking in the top five break down for you? I think really the story 
of of the draft since the end of the World Juniors, where Connor Bedard was just so exceptional and and has continued to be exceptional in the Western leagues as well since then, has been the play of Adam Fantilli in college and of Matvey Michkov in Russia. Fantilli has been just on an absolute tear over the last two plus months, but and Michkov has as well since he got reassigned from Ska St. Petersburg to HC Sochi, which one one of the lesser teams. Uh, in the KHL, uh, you know, and now their season is over, uh, but he was fantastic. I think he had something like 20 points in 25, 27 KHL games with Sochi, an absolutely, you know, stupid type of performance given uh, he is a first-year draft eligible in arguably the second-best league in the world, uh, and he finished that off with a five-point game to end his KHL season. Uh, how he looked in the KHL where he just got so many scoring chances every game, was generating a lot of offense uh, for his teammates, was just really, really impressive. And and Leo Carlson has been excellent, his usual excellence in the SHL the last few months. But I think the play of those two, uh, yeah. in my opinion, has distinguished themselves from Carlson as players. Mitchkov, obviously, is a subject we're going to be discussing a lot over the next three months and and likely much longer than the next three months to be, to be quite honest uh because of what's going on in russia with the war in ukraine uh because of the fact that he has a, a signed khl contract through the end of the 2026 season um and minor debates about the player type too and uh, but but man like he is a special hockey player uh i've you know i've been doing this now you know over 10 years and in terms of just the pure combination of skill, hockey sense, and scoring ability. Yeah, he might be the best guy I've seen in terms of in terms of that combination as, as a draft eligible. It's it's freakishly good offensive abilities, even if he's whatever, 5'9, five, 5'10, nine, five, not an amazing skater, one-way winger, et cetera, et cetera. KHL contract, you can keep on adding all the cons in there. Uh, but but this guy is a freakishly good offensive player. And that is what makes, you know, the, the the top of this class so exciting. And having said all of that, what are the odds he even goes in this top two? 5%? Yeah, probably. And even like top five, I'm saying 50-50, maybe wow. even less than 50 at this point. It's I, I, like I said, it's different for me to make a list and say, I think he fits it here than it is for me to make that decision and have my job riding on that decision. Um, yeah. And I get there are distinct differences and I appreciate them. But man, like I said, he is a special player. And like I said, Fantilli is a special player too. Leo Carlson's a hell of a hockey player. I'm not, I don't mean to, 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 to diminish them too. It's just it, his situation is so interesting because it's not straightforward. We've talked about how ownership, the role ownership is going to play in whatever team ultimately is willing to take that swing. We never see trades high in the NHL draft. That, that usually starts at the end of the top 10 into the teens. And, and from there, you know, then it's, then it's on the table. But I do wonder, if where is the point in the draft where a team is going to be sitting there? Mitchkov's going to be the best player. Maybe their ownership doesn't want him. Maybe their GM even doesn't want him. Uh, where is the point where you would trade up? for for him or or do you feel like there's going to be enough teams that would trade up for him let's say at 5 or 6 I think once Fantilli and Carlson are gone 
you start having that conversation with with teams. I feel like it's almost analogous to what we see in the NFL draft when teams are targeting quarterbacks. And you know there's a certain spot where you have to get to to get get your guy that's going to have a big impact on your organization and you want to make that bet. Uh, And I feel like this is kind of a similar situation where there's going to be, and and I know there are going to be a number of teams that are just going to be hard nose on this question. Maybe not at any point in the draft, but definitely high in the draft. And there's going to be other organizations who are going to be hard yeses that that like love this player that have them sec rated as the second best player on their board. I I know those there are those organizations out there, and I think there are fewer of the second one than there are of the first one. But there are those organizations out there, and I think whether that organization exists at the top of the draft order, and it's very simple, or someone has to go up to go get him. I think this is. This could be one of those unique scenarios because I don't like to speculate on trades typically because yeah. I feel like it's, it could be a little bit of a dumb exercise, frankly. But but I do think in this unique circumstance, this is a trade-up scenario high in the draft. And it's it's even more interesting because like, like you just said, kind of your job on the line, It's you trade up for him. You're almost doubling down on, on this belief. You got to be really a hard yes if you're going to do that. Um, but it, I agree with you. I, I, I am almost always at trades do not happen in the top 10. Um, this time I think it's just enough to, uh, to consider, um, moving on, onto the tier beyond Carlson. I, one of the big risers in this ranking core is Nate Danielson. And I know he's a guy, I think you're, you've, this, you introduced the comps in this version of it. The comp here is Dylan Cousins. Um, given what Dylan Cousins is doing right now, I think that makes a lot of sense why he would rise there, but what has he shown you? Uh, since the last ranking to put himself in that kind of conversation. I think he's always been a really good player. Again, it's not a significant rise. I had him at nine, I think, on, on, on the last list. And uh, so, I, you know, he, he was still a really highly rated player. But I think with Nate Danielson, you've always seen the size, the skating, uh, the, the, the way he can, you know, kill penalties. He's a two-way player. He works hard. All that stuff was good. But, you know, he was hovering around a little bit around a point a game, typically through the first half of the year in the WHL. And the last month, Two months, the offense has been a little bit more consistent. And and when I've watched those games, even the first half, I thought he was generating a ton of scoring chances for himself and his teammates, but they just weren't going in. I don't think the team and Brandon around him, frankly, is that good. You, you watch him, you still, even when he's scoring now, you still see times where his line gets a lot of chances and it's just, and, and it's just not going his way. Uh, but I think now you're seeing the offense be more consistent. He has the puck a lot. He's creating a lot of offense. He has the skating, the size, the two-way game. It checks a lot of boxes. And, you know, the, the, you know, high in the draft when I use the comps, it's a little harder to find the exact sure. comp. There's fewer examples you can use. I thought of Elias Lidholm. I thought of Michael Backlund. I thought of, and I thought of Cousins when I, was, when I was doing this one for Danielson. But the Cousins one is actually interesting. Uh, there are some small deviations in the birthday, I think. Cousins is a February birthday, whereas Danielson's a September, yeah. S- September. So a couple of months apart going into the draft. But if you actually look at the production going in both into their from their draft season and their draft minus one season, there's actually a lot of similarities in the production and the size and the position. Uh, so I, I thought that that's why I, I kind of leaned that way a little bit, even though I, I would say Cousins is a, is a better player at the same age and obviously yep. much better now. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think Danielson is is really intriguing. He checks a lot of the boxes you look for to top NHL prospect. And and I'm not saying he's going to go five, but I feel like he's got a really good chance to be a top 10 pick uh, when the draft does eventually roll around. Well, and even those other two guys you mentioned, you know, I think Elias Lindholm is a solid 
uh, you know, top six center. And, and I think you can make a good argument. Backlund is a solid second line center. Maybe not your dream number two center on a cup team, but but a really good center. Yeah, exactly. I'm, you can think of whatever you know other cops you want to, but I think yep. those are those are all three players that have a lot of really good attributes. No clear weaknesses, two way centers, and and that's kind of why I, I those were the ones I thought about when I was looking at Danielson. One of the other guys who who moved up a, a tier is Colby Barlow, and he's kind of got this uh, like hard scoring element to him that, uh, that tends to appeal to to teams uh, in, in in the draft. It's a winger, but because it's that style of winger, I have to imagine that's what's kind of fueling the rise here. Yeah, and it's not just some scoring. It's a lot of scoring. This guy yeah. is going to, I think, clear 50 goals in the OHL well before the season is over. Uh, after scoring 30 the prior year, he kills penalties. He generally works hard uh, at, you know, in all situations. He's a good skater, uh, gets a lot of scoring chances every game. You know, I think when we were – the criticism that I've made and others I know have made of him throughout the course of the draft season is just – uh, you know, how dynamic is he? Is this a play driver in the NHL? Is he just oh, just a physically mature player? And I think there's some minor uh, truths to that. He's uh, got a full beard. Right. But the one the one interesting debate I had with a scouter, you know, a couple actually a couple of scouts actually about this topic was, you know, frankly, Mason McTavish had the full beard yes. too going into yes. his draft. And I think there's actually the positions are a little different, and I would argue McTavish has a little bit more pure skill, but there are some rhymes in the player type in terms of the way they play, right? Uh, so, like, I think Barlow, yeah, he's not a perfect player. There rarely are perfect players, and it's taken me some time to come around on him, but I think he is going to be a really high draft pick. I think he's going to be a very good top six forward in the NHL who can help a team in a lot of different ways. Another uh, player who, who moved was Edward Shala, and I know, you know, obviously – it's a player we've talked about. It hasn't been exactly how you would have drawn up the draft season for him. He drops a tier for you, though. And I'm curious to see, like, how much of this is is the kind of consensus opinion from th- those that you talk to in the league and how much of this is just kind of what you have seen or I guess haven't seen this year. I think it's 50-50. I think some people in the league are still big believers and there are some people in the league that are not believing as much in this player anymore. And for me, it was – Tough evaluation because he's playing pro. You don't want to ding a guy yep. too much when he's not playing very well at a high level. Like, you know, you look at Yuri Coolidge last year, similar production in that league. He goes to the American League this year. He's absolutely killing it. Uh, so, you know, it's obviously that's not an easy league to play in. So you don't want to, you know, kill a guy too much over it. But it's been, it was more of a pattern. He goes to the Helenka Gretzky. I think he was fine there, but he didn't look amazing, I thought, at least as, as in terms of like a top 10 pick. But you're like, okay, that's one tournament. It is what it is. He goes to the World Juniors. He's good. I don't yep. think he was bad, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say he was a main reason for that Czechia's team success. I, you know, on that top line with Matias Apava living Yuri Kulich, I thought he was always the third best player in, in those games. Um, and then you're like, okay, well, it's the World Juniors, it's a high level. He still got his points, whatever. And then he goes to the U18 Foreign Nations in February. And and He's bad. He's just playing bad at that tournament. He just looks, you know, not a very noticeable performance by him. He gets a couple of whatever chances here and there, but gets the one point. He's not a difference maker for his team. He's not putting his team in a position to win. And it's concerning. And I think it's that's more the pattern you're seeing. There's a, even though I think this is a really talented player, he's six 
162, depending on who you ask. He's a good skater. He's uh, really skilled. He can make a lot of things happen with the puck. But that consistency factor needs to get better for me to get him back into that top 10 range. And ultimately, the, the team that's going to pick him is is betting on um, just the, the skill at that size. And right. that, that's a, an unusual package to find. I mean, this is, you know, the story of every draft season, but the U18s is going to matter a lot for this player. It's going to matter a lot for Dalibor Dvorsky. Yeah, right. It's going to matter a lot for uh, Sandin Pelica and the top American players and whichever Canadians end up going there. I mean, the U18s is always an extremely important tournament. And if Chalet goes there and is just okay, it's going to reaffirm this. And if he goes there, and is as good or better than the one he was at last spring, I think he vaults right back into that top 10 discussion. Another uh, guy who, who rose a tier for you, Corey, was Ryan Leonard of the NTDP. And, and Oliver Moore, he, he's now right right next to Oliver Moore, I believe, 14 and 15 on this list. Uh, how neck and neck are they for you? Is, is kind of We've talked about the, who's the second best player on the NTDP all year. At times, I think we even debated who's the best player, although Will Smith seems to have that separation. How close is it right now for you between Leonard and Moore? And that's another thing just from the four nations where I thought going in, it, it was more. I thought he was rising that level since then where I thought Leonard was ex- exceptional in that tournament and more. I thought it was just okay. That gap was a lot closer. Since then, though, we've had the changes on with the NTDP. And not surprisingly, you took out you know a couple of players and you put Oliver Moore now on a line with James Higgins and Cole Eisenman. Not surprisingly, Oliver Moore has looked very good the last few games on that new look NTDP line. So just kind of repeating the theme we just said, when we get to the U18s in April, how that line performs and, and compared to maybe the, the smith Perot leonard line, it could change some things up, but we'll see how uh, that April tournament, uh, the U18 World Championships goes for Oliver Moore and Ryan Leonard. Newhook was an interesting comp uh, that you chose for Moore. Obviously, I think Moore's got a little more size to him, but I wonder like... I I think I kind of feel like he's got a little more – I was a little down on the scoring ability earlier in the year, but obviously the, the shot is there. Like more offense potential at least with more than Newhook or – obviously Newhook did light up the BC, so maybe, I, maybe I'm just uh, under-adjusting here. It's interesting because when I was talking to a scout the other day, I, I used that comp. He actually said it the other way. He said, I think Newhook has more offense potential than Moore does. Uh, huh. So, but but I, I that's why I kind of like is I think Newhook also maybe he's not the you know the most high high end skill sense guy in the world, but I think he is you know good in both areas, kind of like Moore is. They're five eleven ish, six zero, five ten, whichever whatever measurement you want to use. And I think they're both yeah. exceptional skaters. They compete well. Uh, that's why I, I use that one. And you know Newhook went to, what like sixteenth in his draft year. And if you redid yeah. that draft. Maybe he goes what two spots higher, maybe if at all. Yeah. Like you know, like he's About a really right. good. Yeah. yeah, he's a really good player, but he's not killing it with Colorado at least yet. Even though we think there's potential there for him to improve, he just hasn't. I mean, he's still young. I just he hasn't had that like twenty goal season yet. But I feel like Oliver Moore should be a regular twenty goal scorer. Um, but I, I he did tear up the BCHL, and I, I would imagine that's kind of where it's you know the discrepancy comes from is like which one are you buying kind of thing. Yeah, we'll see where how Moore does next season. I think you know, obviously he's going to the Gophers. Always, always a great team. Presuming Logan Cooley signs, you know, he could slot. You know, maybe if you could put him on a line next to Jimmy Snuggerud, that that could that could be really fun. Although if Cooley doesn't sign, that that would change things a little bit. Newhook's college production was way better than I realized. He had forty-two points in thirty-four games as a freshman. So that's okay. That that is fair then. Him and Boldy were really good on that team. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fair enough then. 
Um, I, I just think it's interesting. I mean, Leonard Leonard has a lot of really nice elements too that I think teams are going to covet. I just think the positional for the center to me would still have more elevated, but you know, there's there's fair arguments I think both ways there, and that'll be interesting to to follow. The last guy I want to talk to you about who slides for you is Michael Rabal, and, and we talked about him coming into the year and the goalies. It, it does seem like I think you got Adam Guyon now is your is your number one uh, goalie, but Rabal kind of fallen off a little bit. It seems where do, where do you see his stock at this point? Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, his the start of the year was so good for him. He was really good at Helinka Gretzky. He starts off the USHL season on fire. He's a six six goalie who moves well. It's it was really easy to get excited about him. But the last two three months haven't gone so well for him in the USHL. I, I would say just based on the usage, he's not really even Omaha starting goalie anymore, which is obviously concerning if you were going to pick a goalie in the first round, uh, which I don't think is the likeliest outcome for this player anymore uh but he still has that unique toolkit and he has done things throughout this draft season that makes you excited about him so i don't think he's gonna fall off too much i still think this is a guy who could be a top two round draft pick but i think for there was a period in the draft year where he was the goalie he was the number one goalie this is the guy and and now i think it's kind of an open debate it could be Rubal still. It could be Guyon. It could be, I, I know plenty of scouts who think it could be Carson Bjarnason from Brandon. You know, maybe some mild opinions still out there for Trey Augustine from the program. Um, so I think who the number one goalie is right now in this draft is a wide open debate. All right, let's take another break and then we're going to come back for the mailbag. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, Corey, let's get to a quick mailbag here now to wrap up the show. Uh, Nam Danan wants to know, is it really possible we see a top 10 without a defenseman come draft day? Assuming that won't happen, which defender is most likely, not necessarily your highest rate to sneak in? You do have Reinbacher in, comfortably in the top 10 here now, but I think this is an interesting question. What are the odds that there is a top 10 with no D? We've, we rarely see even a top five without a D. Yeah, I don't see it happening. Um I get where this question comes from because even though I think Reinbacher, for me, is is a top 10 player in this draft class, uh, it's not like I have him two or three or four. So there is a potential reality that could play out or he doesn't go there. I know not everybody has him rated in the top 10, um, but from enough people I'm talking to in the league, I think within the league, he is trending in that direction. Uh, whenever you know he is playing a game in the NLA, Switzerland's top league. I mean, there's just you know a dozen plus scouts there, often from North America, going in to see him. Uh, a lot of decision makers from those lowest seeded teams are going in to watch him. 
so I don't know exactly where he's going to fall. I can't say 100% sure he's going to go in the top 10 or Sandin Pelik or Dmitry Simashev or whoever. But I feel pretty confident, you know, 75% confident, 80% confident that there will be at least one defenseman that goes in the top 10. And I think it's the highest likely uh, candidate is David Reinbacher. All right. Andrew Mayo says his Braden Yeager's underwhelming year made him a value pick at the very end of the lottery. As a Habs fan, depending on the board, I feel he could be a good selection with the Florida pick. Would love your thoughts. This is a player you comp to Travis Konechny uh, in in this new rating system. And I think it's a good point. Jaeger came into the year. I think a lot of people thought, you know, maybe even comfortable top 10 projection based on when he was coming out of the Holinka. Um, if, if he does indeed go outside the top 10 now, there there is pretty good potential for value pick with upside. And it's I, I didn't do this for that reason, but that's actually a very similar story to how Konechny's draft season went. He came sure. into this season as a very highly rated prospect, doesn't produce as you expect, falls into the 20s, Philadelphia trades up to, to go get him and, and looks like a very good pick ever since then. But it, the comp wasn't about that. It was more about the play styles. Um, yeah, I mean, Jaeger's season has been surprising. Um, in particular, I thought there would be more goals. I have his shot still rated as his best asset, but he actually has two times as many assists this year as he does goals. And um, he's a little bit of a divisive player. You can you can call you know four NHL scouts and ask them to put him, Zach Benson, Danielson, and and Sam Hansik in an order, and you might get four different orders. Uh, everyone has their own opinions on on those guys. Um, and Jaeger, some people are still big fans. Some of them are, are less. It wouldn't shock me to see him go towards the end of the lottery range, so closer to 15. Uh, I wouldn't currently bet on that happening, but it's. I would say him going in the teens is more likely than him going in the top 10 right now. Do you like him as a true center? Unsure. Like, they're, they're, I can see because he's a really good skater and he's really competitive. Like, Can I see a path where he becomes Vincent Trocek? Sure. Um, but like, it's, it's just tough, right? Like we have this debate every year on the podcast about, you know, the next Braden point or the next Vincent Trocek, but it feels like yeah. every year there's three or four of them. And I don't think we've seen the next one come to the mm-hmm. NHL yet. Uh, so it's, it's just difficult to say with absolute confidence that this 5'11 player who is not killing it right now in the junior is going to become a top two line center in the NHL. Well, and I think you could also make, raise a fair point of like, would you rather even have the next Vincent Trocek than the next Travis Konechny right now? If if the sometimes it is true that guys' offensive potential and maybe even overall potential is just better on the wing, so you could shoehorn them in and hope they become something. But and a second line center is very valuable. But I think you can make an argument Travis Konechny is more valuable than Vincent Trocek today. Yeah, maybe maybe not. It's close enough. Yeah. Uh, Shokunin says, do you think Fantilli plays in the NHL next year? This is an interesting one. It should seem like an obvious yes, given how crazy the production is. Yep. But we've seen some of the Michigan kids in particular come back. Yeah. And I almost wonder how much it will matter by organization, right? Like, let's say Arizona gets him. Let's say Chicago gets him. Uh, you know, do you want to have another bad year, right? Are you going to have another year just like this one where your team is just not in a good spot and you don't want to bring in this premium young player into that kind of environment? Or does, let's say Chicago gets him, do they bring Reichel in full-time next year? Do they try and put Korchinski on the team? Are they, do they try and turn around quicker? I think those are interesting discussions. I think as a pure player, he is ready to play in the NHL next season. Yeah. But I would have said that about Beneers and Power too. 
I think I think yeah. there's a different there's a different level of player than those two though. No doubt. I mean, he's, the production he's putting up, I, I I think it would even be hard to argue he'd even have a significant challenge next year. But I think your point's a good one about the state of the team that drafts him. I mean, I think if, you know, some of the teams that, that could get him at this point include uh, Montreal, Vancouver, Philly, St. Louis, Detroit, all those teams, Washington. I think all those teams could use him right away and he could meaningfully change their their outlook somewhat. Yep, I agree. It'll be really interesting. You know, we'll have a lot more firm opinions on these in about a couple of weeks. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Logan Horn, could you explain your methodology for coming up with the prospect player comparables a bit more? Did you try to match up the tool grade to the tool grade of an active player? Uh, was play style and size a bigger factor? Any other factors that go into making a reasonable comparison? I am trying when I do those to come up with what I think is a realistic projection of what I think this player could be in the NHL based on, you know, based on pretty much the tool grades, the size, the position, et cetera. It's not always perfect. Sometimes you don't find the perfect comparable. Typically it is higher that it's tougher to uh, get those perfect comparables just because there are fewer data points if you're using Connor Bedard. Okay, it's like, okay, you're comparing him to the elite players in the NHL. There's only, whatever, 10, 12 elite players. So it's tough to find the exact comparable. I used David Pasternak for Bedard, but I know deep down that is not a good comparable. Pasternak's, whatever, four inches taller than Bedard. It's, there's, and there's other somewhat stylistic differences. I used Kucherov for Michkov, but I don't think that one's a perfect one either. But for the rest of the body of them, I, I tend to think I found reasonable comparables, in my opinion, anyways. There were two, though, in, in Matt Wood and Andrew Cristal, where I didn't find an exact comparable. And I think that almost kind of explains the risks in the player, in that I couldn't think of one player that uh, I could find in an exact player in the NHL. Like, okay, he looks exactly like him. All right, Corey, uh, Ashish B wants to know, what would it take to trade into the top three to four of this draft? I know you just said you hate talking about hypothetical trades here, but because there's a player who I think makes it at least a conversation, I think this is an interesting one to to pick at here. What would it take if you're going to go up and get someone, especially like a Mitchkov? We would need to go back and look through history, right? Like the, the flurry trade. Um, there was the, the trade that the Islanders and I think Toronto made between, I think that was the Luke Shen, Josh Bailey exchange like I we have to go kind of I don't know off the top of my head but those are the ones that come to mind in terms of looking back through history and, and what it took to make those moves uh the when Vancouver traded to get both of the Sedin twins etc yeah uh one of these days maybe we should actually look through that and maybe that that, make, that could make for an interesting article idea I like that we'll come back to it uh Rob Thomas wants to know Logan Cooley or Will Smith who has the higher ceiling between the, the top center on each of the last two years NTDP teams I think it's Cooley don't you like, Yeah I do like, I, I like, think Cooley has the extra element of the of the game breaking speed Like I think the skill is pretty similar but like his yeah the skating is a differentiator there Yep Uh here's another one from from a player who who's got uh, some really good skating Steve wants to know is Lane Hudson a phenom or should expectations be tempered? Phenom is a strong word, but he's having a great year. He is having a great year. I saw him live a few weeks ago when I was going to the Beanpot. Um, 
it's a really interesting year. Um, obviously, just because the, the offense there is so good, and he's been a part of a leading team there with BU this season, and you know the skill, the hockey sense are all really good. I don't know if the skating's at the same level as the skill in the hockey sense, but it's still a he's a strong skater. I wouldn't say like he's fast, but those edges are are really good. Uh, and it's been an interesting debate. I kind of it's kind of been a similar debate with Jordan Dumay in the queue where. Like the people who didn't like either of them going into the draft would have said that Jordan Dumais is going to have a really good year in the queue. And it would have said that Lane Hudson was going to have a really good year in college. But I think they wouldn't have expected them to be this good in college, where, where Lane Hudson is, you know, one of the top defensemen in college, arguably, this season. Uh, so I think it changes the debate a little bit. I, I feel like Phenom is, is over the top. I don't know where expectations are currently, but. Like I think this guy is going to play in the NHL. I think he's got a reasonable chance to be a top four defenseman in the NHL. But there are still legitimate concerns on his pro projection. It's why he fell to the end of the second round. He is not an elite skating small defenseman. I don't think the compete level is extraordinary by any means. He is tiny. Um, there are a lack of comparables for him in the NHL of, of people who have – of a player who looks like that, who has a long career, who who contributes to a team's uh, success in the playoffs, et cetera. Um, So kind of maybe in between what what we're talking about there, like I don't think he's not a real prospect, but I also wouldn't call this guy a high echelon prospect, at least just yet. I think he kind of saw the World Juniors too, when he played against the Team Canada with all those big, fast, strong forwards that – you know, didn't really have much of an impact in that game, I thought. Yeah, and I, I think we, we're we not really surprised to see him producing, but it's just, it's it's been really good production. I mean, he's a really good player. I mean, the, the question has always just been, when you get to the NHL, what is it going to look like? And I, I don't think we're going to have that question answered until he's there. And it could be really, really good. Yeah, and I don't think he's similar to this player, but I think there are some vague similarities. Like, does it remind you a little bit of the Joe Hicketts debate a little bit in Detroit at one point? Um, I think he's better than Joe Hickett. Like oh, no, 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 he yeah. is. But I just mean like small defensemen, really good production at the lower levels. But there's always like this, we'll see when he gets to the pros, right? Yes, I think that's true. And Joe Hicketts was a really good junior, played on two world junior teams. Like obviously, again, much different. He was an unsigned you yeah. know, free agent type of, type of thing. Not a second round pick, not a guy with this level of talent either. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, ben C wants to know what makes a prospect a natural center or someone who's projected to play center in the NHL once they develop. I've heard the term in scouting a ton. I'm making the assumption it's based on skating, compete, skill size, et cetera. But I'd be curious to see what your take is. Part of this too is just like what they've played coming up, right? Like a natural center is typically someone who's played center their whole life. Right. And, you know, when they're coming up, you know, you watch the lowest levels of amateur hockey or even into the, you know, even when they start playing the higher levels of amateur hockey, the best players tend to be centers when they, when they come up, right? Like that's typically how yeah. just a coach operates. You have your best player, whoever in bent or midget, you put them at center. And it, and I think that principle kind of applies as you keep going up the levels is that once you reach the highest levels, you still have your best players playing center, but the best players now are just a whole lot better. Yeah. And it's a combination, yes, of the side. You want typically a, a top two line, top three line center in the NHL is reasonably sized. They skate well, they compete well, they have – good puck game not always there are deviations but just typically they are just really good hockey players and i would say the sense probably more important than the puck game there right right yeah because of all the responsibilities 
Right. But I just think generally they just tend to be your best players. And but the yeah. bar is just so much higher. And then when you kind of see these players who are centers, but they're not like they're 5'11", 5'10", or they're average size and not amazing skaters, you think in yourself, when he gets to the NHL, he will not be a top four forward on his team. And thus, he's probably not going to be a top two line center on his team or, or not a top three line or whatever. That being said, there are guys like when we talk about like Michkov and, and Bedard, right? Like, yes, who I think it's a fair conversation. Like, you're just going to get more out of them and, and their build and stuff like that. Their their traits sometimes just project better to the wing. Correct. Like, and that's just one of those. Those are those are different, more unique scenarios where yes, obviously you think Bedard's going to be one of the very best forwards on his team, uh, but just because of his you, I, I think when you look at Connor Bedard, you don't want him playing defense. Right, like yeah, that's right. feels like feels like a waste of his time almost. Whereas you want him being, you know, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, Patrick Kane, Kucherov. You want him attacking and want him trying to score because that's what he's really. You you know, this is a guy who's barely five foot ten. I don't think you get the most out of him by him digging pucks out of the corners in the defensive zone. Right, there's a comparative advantage element there to to it for sure. Uh, last thing is from Hockey Chirps who says, "What kind of dog breed lives inside Dawson Mercer?" Uh, I like this one, so I, I don't know if you, you're, I don't know if you have one, Corey, but mine would be the Plot Hound, which uh, I'm on the American Kennel Club website here, which says the Plot Hound is a rugged, relentless hunting dog who is a mellow gentleman at home. I can't speak to that for Dawson Mercer, but fearless and bold at work. Uh, that that's my Dawson Mercer uh, dog. You know, Pitbull seems too obvious, right? Right. I'm sure our fans appreciate the research you put into this question. Yes, I, I took it very seriously. So. Thanks for the question, Hockey Chirps. That is going to do it for us. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.